touching me, oh God. Lord God, I just love you so much, oh Lord. Lord, you're so worthy, oh God. We just bless your holy name, Lord. Hallelujah to your name, God. Really love the Lord. And I really the Lord, you don't know what he's done for me, he gave me the victory, I love him. I love him. I really love the Lord. If you know it, please join in. You don't know what he's done for me. He gave me the victory. I love him. I love him. I really love the Lord. Is that anybody's testimony? <laughs> You don't know. You don't know what he's done for 
You don't know. You don't know what he's done for me. You don't know. He gave me the victory. I love him. I love him. I, I really love. I, I really love. And I, I really love the. our praise and I'm really hoping that you came with that with that heart and that attitude of praise we're going to come back and have a time of prayer in just a moment but we are going to have um, our missions moment and our highlight and I'm going to ask our sister Olivia Ford who is um, one of our newest members of our missions board and one of our youngest, which I love as well. And she's going to come up and intro what we are going to uh, see highlighted this morning. Olivia. Morning. How's everyone? As you said, I'm Olivia. Yes, I was told to mention I'm a new member of the missions board. But I just wanted to um, introduce this video we're about to watch this morning. It's our brother Spencer in Haiti. And he's actually our translator each year we go. And I call him brother because that's our family in Haiti. And we miss them a lot. So I really want to encourage you before we watch this video to um, please donate. We know that February is our missions month. And even though we're not there physically, we still want to keep up with giving those medications to those who are in need in Haiti because they depend on us. They look forward to us coming every year because we provide that medication. So he's going to give us a little more information on that. But as you watch, I just wanted to encourage you to not only donate to missions for that medical provision, but also for those children. A lot of you um, sponsor the kids who live in the orphanage in Haiti, and they still need your support as well. So thank you for letting me come up this morning and talk, and I'll turn it over to Spencer. Hi, everyone. My name is Spencer Basil, the associate pastor of the International Baptist Fellowship Church. I'm married and I have a daughter. After the lockdown for the coronavirus last July, the church activities were restarted. We are working hard to move with all of our program. It's true the people are become different and difficult since after the COVID. So we are considering new strategy to function normal. There are different ways Solid Word could help our church. Our building is in construction. We will be happy finding some help to move quickly. We have programs to support kids to go to school, young to go to university, and also supporting widows and orphans. But the church don't always have enough money to do that. We will appreciate finding some help to keep on doing this job. In Haiti right now, things are very difficult. Not because of the coronavirus. It's true, there's few cases, but 
the Haitian population is not afraid of it and it doesn't have too much effect on us. What we are really afraid of is the insecurity that is worse than the pandemic. Gang activities in many parts of the country, kidnapping, crimes, and more. So the Haitian would prefer to have the virus in Haiti than this terrible situation. Since the group from Solid World could not come to give medicine in Haiti, it put all the people who usually take medicine early here in a very difficult situation. Many of them used to uh, take that moment as their main checkup every year. Now some need to buy their medication from the pharmacy at a very high price. Others don't even have access to go to the hospital for a checkup and they don't have money to buy medicine. So they stay home without medicine while they need some. Also, there's some medicine that the group usually bring that are very difficult to find in Haiti and what the group used to give help better than what we buy in Haiti. So we will be praying that God will allow the group to come again in order to continue their ministry in Haiti for the well-being of the Haitian. Thank you. I think that was a good reminder for us just to see how <clears throat> or what kind of impact God has allowed us to have in that nation. And um, the void that not being there has actually caused. And um, although physically unable to be there, um, we can still be there for them with what we give. And um, want to commit ourselves to continue to do that. Um, it's also just a testament to the grace of God that in the middle of a pandemic, God can still keep folk going. And as a matter of fact, even in the middle of hardship, for that pastor to stand up there and to share how they're still moving forward and they need help, but they're still moving forward, is a testament to God's grace and his strength. And I think that does lead into what we're going to look at today as we get into his word. We're going to have just a time of prayer at first. But, but this, this whole issue of understanding that it's a battle, that we are in a war, but understanding who the combatants are and understanding what the context of the fight is, is critical because that's what's going to help us to know who to fight and how to fight. And with what do we use to fight? And so this morning, we're going to wrap up this time, this series in Ephesians. And again, this was not an exhaustive one. It was never meant to be. But it was meant to draw our attention to the fact that we were called into being to be a church, this body of Christ, or that represents Christ or comes from Christ, and we are to be a healthy body. And we are to be one that demonstrates who Christ is and exemplify his character. And I really hope that during this time, you've been able to see yourself individually and to see us collectively. 
and to be able to gauge and to see where we are. I believe God is showing all of us something about ourselves individually, but he's also been showing us some things about ourselves collectively. I hope we've paid attention. I hope we've watched. I hope we've studied and reflected. I hope you've not taken this opportunity to see in your brother or sister something that's wrong and not do some personal deep soul reflecting of your own towards yourself because that would be a huge mistake and you would miss God's intention. The way that we get to the collective body is by first starting with the individual. And then from there, we can see and affect the change that's necessary. But before we get into his word, I do want to have a time of prayer. And this morning, I surely want to pray for, as I heard yesterday, and we put out word, it's with sadness, but knowing that she is before the Lord, that we want to pray for the family of our sister Barbara Jackson Ajayo, who went home to be with the Lord over this weekend. It was a surprise to all of us. We know her love for God. We know her using of her gifts and talents as she sung with our choir. Um, we know how she has blessed us with her continued attitude. She was here several weeks ago, and I had spoken with her and just said how she's continuing to battle in the Lord. That's just what I remember her constantly talking about. I'm continuing to battle in the Lord. And I want us to pray for her and her family, siblings and her children. Um, and um, there'll be more information and details coming out later on any final arrangements for her and our involvement in that as we are or and are her church. I also want us to pray for ourselves and that as we finish up this series that we really take to heart what God has spoken to us. We take it seriously and we take it in a very sobering fashion. Why? <clears throat> so that God can change us so that he can shape us so that we look more like him as we represent him in the world um, and that we benefit from the changes of living a God-approved life. And so I want us to pray for ourselves as well. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we spend just a little time in prayer. Father, I thank you. <clears throat> Lord, you are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. Father, our hearts, I pray, are always seeking and desiring you. Father, I pray that you would help to keep our focus and our gaze God, sure and steady. Lord, that we understand our purpose. And that we understand what is approved by you and what isn't. Thank you, Lord, that we've been able to look at 
what you have done to get us in the proper position, what you have done to put us in the proper place. And because of that, what you expect of us in light of what you have done and in light of our position. Father, I thank you that you've shown us what you want us to practice because of the position that you've given us. And I pray that we would be people of proper and accurate and appropriate practice. Father, living out what you have put in us. I pray that the temptations, O oh Lord, to move away, God, that we would put them underneath, God, your strong hand and power and allow you to change us. <clears throat> and in that moment of decision, we would make a decision to follow you. Father, it is with heavy hearts that we pray for the family of our sister. I know she is in your presence. Knowing, oh God, and she was saying that, God, she was worth it when you saved her. Father, you deemed us worthy to be saved. Not that we were worthy. You saw it as worth it. Father, I thank you that she is in your presence, singing your praise, singing you face to face as we all one day seek to do. And so we thank you, God, that you have her forever with you. And yet, Lord, here we are sorrowful as death does that among us. And I pray, Lord, for her family. God, I pray for those that love her, her physical family, Father, and her spiritual family here. Lord, that you would strengthen her family. You would help them, oh, Lord, to, <clears throat> Lord, to make it through this storm, through this part of the journey, through this bend in the road. I pray that you would strengthen them, oh, God, and allow them to see you, you more clearly. I pray that the legacy of my sister would ring strong and true in their hearts and in their minds. Father, that they would remember the God she served and the way she served that God, you, the living God. I pray that her life, Lord, would be a message itself as people reflect and think about what she has done and how she has overcome obstacles throughout her life Father, to stand victorious in life, and now that she is in eternity, is forever victorious. Father, I pray for the hard days ahead that you would comfort and bring peace. Father, that when the memories of her come and on those days where it's difficult, I pray that your presence would be known, felt, and, oh God, understood. I pray that those that don't know you would remember how she lived and, oh God, be led to you by her life. And so, Father, we commit her family to you. And those of us here, oh God, who are left hurting, I pray that you would strengthen us and allow us to, oh God, move forward in you knowing that you've got us. I pray this morning as we get into our word, Lord, that we would open our hearts and our minds. Father, that we would allow you <clears throat> to speak to us, God, to shape our hearts, our thoughts, and Lord, that we would listen obediently 
I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord, to allow you, oh God, to show us things that you want us to see that we may have either missed or looked past intentionally. And I pray that you would help us to leave here rejoicing that you have seen fit to open our eyes to your truth. We ask you these things in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Turn with me, of course, to Ephesians chapter 6. We are going to also look um, in the book of Isaiah along the way. I'll point you at that particular time as to where we will go. And of course, as this is a summary of what we have looked at and learned, we will also go back to um, some of the things that we've seen in Scripture all along. The title today, and I'm going to go by what we looked at last week when um, Elder Charles Wright spoke with us so wonderfully, calling it Living by the Spirit. And because part of this in chapter 6 continues Paul's thought from chapter 5, we know that Ephesians wasn't written in chapter and verse. Chapter and verse was made for us to be able to digest this easily. In his letter, it was one thought. I'm going to title this Living by the Spirit, Part 2. But with an undertitle that I want us to focus on, because this is the latter part of this book, Understanding It's a Battle. See, I think many of us at times when we look at living this life, we think that coming to Christ really freed us from living in any kind of struggle and trial and hardship. We thought, when I came to Christ, I'm free. And yes, in one sense you are. You are free from your sin. You are free from the bondage of being caught up in the God of this world, of being in the trap of Satan, of this world's system of how things are done. You are, you are free from living under the strong hand of sin, and the power of sin is broken, Romans Tell us, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. You were set free. But that freedom didn't say freedom from hardship. It was freedom from the domination of sin. But I think some of us believe that when I came to Christ, I'd be free and I'm going to live. But I'm going to live my best life now. And translated, that means I'm not going to have any issue, any problem, anything to worry about. Because I'm a king's kid. God's got me. But what you may not have been aware is when you came to Christ, you weren't freed from hardship. You were entered into a battle, but one that you would be totally prepared for if you followed what the commander-in-chief has stated and has given. See, when we came to Christ, God placed us not only in his family, Scripture says, but he also placed us in his army. You became children of God, yes, but you also became soldiers for God. 
And although there are times that we remember that we are children, I think we forget many times that we are soldiers. Those of you who have been in and those of us who have been in the military understand this a little bit more. When you have spent time shaped by life under a commanding officer and where there were rules and where there were ways that you did things and where you were at the call of the commanding officers at any point in time, you understand this concept a little better. Because you know that your life was not your own. Oh, you had the liberty to live out your life in particular ways. And as a matter of fact, they would even give you sometimes what's called liberty, that you would not have to be necessarily on immediate call and you could have some freedom. But even in that freedom at any given point in time, you can be called back. Am I right, Brother Chris? You can be called because you are always on duty until you are no longer in the service. And for us here in this life, you don't get to retire from God's army and still remain here on earth. You get to get out of that army when you are no longer on the battlefield, and the battlefield is this planet. And it's this life. And so Paul wants us to get that in mind as he finishes this up, uh, this, this whole walking worthy. He finishes this up in this text. And so I want us to see that, yes, we are to live by the Spirit, but we better understand that it is a battle. You are going to be fighting, but God did not leave the fighting or the strength for fighting up to you. I know sometimes we think that we become Christians and God does all the work. We said, let go and let God. God does all the work. Put it in the Lord's hand. The battle is the Lord's and not yours. Yes, we understood that, but even in that context where that verse comes from, there was something they had to do, and there was a way in which they would fight, but they understood that the fight in and of itself is God working through you. And so you're not left alone. And so we start off, we're going to look at three areas this morning in this living by the Spirit, understanding that it's a battle. We're going to look at children's and fathers as he continues this how to walk worthy in the smaller units of the overall Christian community. Children and fathers, bond servants and masters. is our second one. And then our last point, and everyone prepare for battle. That's what he does. So he finishes up the thought that was in chapter 5 of how he started with the larger community and then he went down into the home specifically as he dealt with marriage. And then he's still in the home as he deals with children, fathers, bond servants, and masters. And then he comes back to the general community at the end where he goes, okay, everybody... Prepare for battle. Battle stations. So let's look. 
first one, children and fathers. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I know there are many of us, we love the first part of that verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You know, and, and, and you make sure that's one of the memory verses that your kids put in mind and that they repeat and say, and rightfully so, but there is a context that we need to understand with this. In the, <clears throat> look at what he does. In the same way he just finished doing with wives and husbands, Paul does something interesting here, and he does it also with bond servants and masters. He speaks to the group that is to willingly subordinate themselves first. He did that with wives. He's wives, and he says, submit to your husbands. The subordinating group, the one that is to put themselves under in their heart and mind and attitude, is the one he speaks to first. He does it again. Children, obey your parents. Bond servants, obey your masters. See, because he speaks to them first, partly I believe it's because he knows the difficulty in humanity of subordinating yourself to anyone, period. Now, the children here he's speaking of would be old enough to understand their call as a believing younger person to what God is calling them to do. So the obedience, and Paul is speaking to them, to them directly, you have a role in this too. You are not excluded because you are not seen as this adult. Now, children was used even of older people because we have to understand in that, in that Near East, in that Middle Eastern culture, father especially had authority even over adult children because they lived in the community. They had that place of honor. But he's not talking about those who are outside of the home. Paul here is speaking of those children that are in the process of being brought up because he clarifies that later when he talks to fathers who are being brought up, who are being nurtured and shaped in the home. And so today that would be those of us because unlike back then, we... When we grow up, most of us, we tend to leave, if not physically leave, the environment that we're in. We leave the authority structure. But Paul is talking here to those that are still under the authority in the home of their parents. And he says to them, the right thing for you to do, the thing as a believer, as a disciple of Christ, although at a young age, is obedience. I'm going to throw something in there. That word for obedience is an imperative, and he is saying it is absolute obedience. You go, whoa, hold on a second. Like, like, like there's no room for me to go, I don't want to do what you want. As a believer, remember, in all of this, he couches all of this as unto the Lord, in the Lord. He did the same thing with wives. He does the same things in a moment with bond servants. He said, this is in the context of you being a Christ follower. You claim to be a Christian young person. And he says, for you, 
the way that you demonstrate and that you mature in your discipleship is by obedience to the ones that God has placed over you. It is a sign. It is demonstrating that you are being filled by the Spirit when you are walking in obedience to your parents. And the converse of that is true. The opposite of that is true. When you are one that is walking in disobedience, and whether it is in action or in attitude, God says what you are demonstrating is that you are walking in the flesh. You are not living out God's design. So he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And others, in the Lord. He's in the Lord. What does he mean? As you are in Christ... And because of your relationship with him, love this. He says, it's a command. He says, look, it's right. And it's the first commandment with a promise. If you looked at this, and if you went back to the law, technically it's not. Because there was another one before that. What did he mean by it's the first with a promise? It's one, the priority. That when you look at it, the first one really wasn't a promise specifically it was a general statement of fact when you look at the law but in in regard this was the high priority and the first one he says if it is to go well with you and in essence with society itself it must be that children must come under the rule of their parents show me a society where children are in constant rebellion to their parents and I will show you a society that is on its way out. He says, because if all that is represented is this raising up against authority in the home, what it demonstrates is that you have raised yourself up against the authority of God himself. That's what it demonstrates. And if you have a problem in the home, and again, remember, he is talking about the Christian home. Okay, well, what happens in the non-Christian? God still makes provision for that because he calls on fathers in the moment. But he also just says, look, God is taking care of you. And if you are in an ungodly parent situation, your honoring of them shapes it up that it will go well with you. And I love this, that you will have a long life. Notice he did not give exactly the command that was given to the nation of Israel about getting land that the Lord is promising you. He flips that and switched that. It's not about land. He just says that it will go well with you while you're here in the land and that you will have a long life. Here's what I love what he didn't say. He didn't quantify what long meant. So, God, I thought you said they're going to have a long life. That didn't seem long, God says to you. He didn't say what long meant. He just said the fullness of the life that you were supposed to live, the time that I have for you here on earth is not cut short by your disobedience and your bucking of authority. And you and I know. Wow. I was just reminded here of one young lady. I remember I was leaving to 
go on staff at that time with crew. So this was late 80s. Yeah, I know, I'm old. And um, I had made the trip out to San Bernardino, California. At the time, that's where crew's headquarters were. And I was going to be out there for eight weeks. That was the whole training period, had some schooling, had some training and all that. So I was going to be out there for eight weeks. Uh, ooh, poor me in Southern Cal for eight weeks. <laughs> I was loving it. But I remember almost halfway through that getting a call because I was youth pastor at the time in our church. And I got a call and they were telling me about one of the young ladies who was just, her and her mom were just at odds and just having the toughest time, so much so that she had to go moving with an aunt because her and mom were not feeling it. They were not getting along. And the young lady would buck and buck. And I just remember getting the call that this young lady had been killed. She was 13. Point blank. She had been cutting school that day. One of the things that her mom and her fought over. And she was hanging out with her friends. They don't know exactly what happened. But somebody in there had a gun, was playing with it, and hit her right square in the chest. And they all got afraid and left her lying on the floor. And she died. And it, it was sad. I was crushed. So I remember her well. One of the things that I realized, part of it, her disobedience put her in a place that cost her her life. Her disobedience put her in a place that she didn't have the protection she thought she had. Subsequently, on the block where my parents' house was, was another young lady, except she was in high school, about to graduate. I remember this one in Brooklyn. Same thing, parents went out of town. She was old enough to be there by herself. Parents that don't have anyone in the house. She had two young guys in the house who wanted to take advantage of her and she wasn't having it and they killed her. Uh, five doors down from my parents' house. I remember the police gathering around the house when we came home. It's like, what happened? So-and-so was killed. Her parents came home from their trip and they were just, they, they, you just couldn't say. Sometimes it costs you everything. Sometimes it may seem like you're getting away and you're getting by. It's nothing. But we never know. We never know, even as adults. Boy, don't think we're off the hook. We never know what an action of disobedience will do. I'm not trying to scare you. It's just a sober warning. God says obedience is the best place to be. Even if obedience cost you your life, hey, you were in the plan and the will of God and have nothing to worry about. And so just in case we think we just dumped this whole load on them of honoring your father and mother. It is the giving them honor of the position that they hold. God turns around now to fathers. Understand that, <clears throat> look at what God does. He tells children to honor both father and mother. 
But then he gives instructions to fathers specifically. And I want you to see the critical nature of fathers here in our society and thus the decline when it's not. He says, honor your father and mother. Both of them deserve your honor and your obedience. But he turns to fathers. He says, but fathers, because Paul knew back in that time and especially back in Jewish culture and even in um, um Near East and Middle Eastern culture, he understood they, 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 they understood the place and the authority and the role of fathers in that society that had pretty much absolute authority over a lot. And he tells them, I'm calling them to obedience, but I'm calling you to something too. And he goes, fathers, he gives them first what to avoid. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. He says, because in with all the authority you have in this society, as a dad, as a father, as one who holds influence and who has say so, don't live with your kids in such a way that you crush them, that you, that you oppress them, that you move them to anger. That provoking there is by nature of who you are and how you are, it seems like the only natural response they have is to be angry. This is a person who, he said, who is manipulative, power hungry, and does not understand that instead of living like society was, and living out your authority and your influence, he was calling them to something different, and this was unheard of. He said, instead, dads, fathers, you need to be in their life, but you don't need to be one that's moving them to anger. Now, let me help you out, kids. This anger doesn't mean because he is moving you to do something that you need to be doing. Stop making me angry, dad. No, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that you don't abuse the authority given that you end up crushing the attitude and the heart of the one you are led to. Instead, look at what he says, instead, the one that you are led to lead and to help grow up. So he says, fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I love this. Number one, bring them up. That means nurturing. That means it's not just for mom. That means it's not, go ask your mom. I have nothing to do with this. I'm not to be found. I'm nowhere to be seen. God says, bring them up, which, which, which implies interaction, number one. It also implies modeling, number two. They need to see it, bring them up. But it also implies actual instruction. Bring them up how? Some versions say in the fear, but that fear means reverence, that, that, that there is a discipline that you help them to understand that the context is as a believer, you bring them up. You can't force them, but you bring them up. You help them to understand that their decisions should be based on, lived in, and lived out of the context of the Christian life. So you bring them up in the discipline and the instruction that is in God, and that is in his Christ. So that implies, Dad, that you need to know something. 
You need to be brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord if you're going to bring someone else up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How can an undisciplined person command discipline? How can a person who lacks instruction give instruction? The issue is you can't. And so understand what he's saying. Dad, you need to be about displaying, learning and displaying some discipline and that you need to be finding out and living by some instruction that you can now give instruction. And he gives that home. Children, yes, are to obey, but they need to be underneath a dad. It doesn't mean mom is not that there are other scriptures that are influencing mom. He says here, as far as leadership is concerned, we'll go back again when he did wives and husbands. He talked to husbands about loving their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. He, he, he actually said to them what their responsibility was with their wives and their homes, but then he gives their responsibilities with their children over the home. Dad, you are critical over your homes. And even if now the kids are outside the home, you are helping them to understand still what it means to be disciplined and live by instruction. But you are also helping other dads who are in the middle of it. So he says, look, I have here, bring them up, presence, process, and practice. Dad, there needs to be presence. There's a process going on that you're helping to move them on. And there's some practices that you demonstrate for them and you expect of them. And so we move from that into the next one, still in outside of the family, meaning mother, I mean, husband, wife, children, but still in the home is bond servant and masters. And some versions would say slave and masters. And I have to give you a little bit of context here because there's been so much confusion on this and people have used it and abused it. One of the things that you see up until this point, you know, wives and husbands, children, there was always a biblical basis in history or historically speaking of the relationship. He talks about, you know, Wives submitting and husbands loving as Christ loved the church. And he talks about children obeying because it is tied to the commandments when it was given. When he gets to the bond servant, notice there is no historical tie with it. Paul is not making a commentary on slavery. You have to understand that. He's not. He's not condoning. He's not even condemning. He's addressing how to deal with this situation that exists. But notice he makes no tie historically in Scripture to it and supporting it. Because we know the evils of it and yet it existed. And one of the things we also have to understand is this is not chattel slavery as we know it here in America. But it still was slavery and it was a form that could be abused by the sinful nature oppressively. We understood that as well. But understand this. Back at that time, especially in the Roman times, slavery was so, so persistent and, and covered so much of Rome that about half, one out of every two people, were under some sort of bond slavery. 
they came from either victory in war and the losers became slaves, but only for a time, or it was their debt, their financial debt and what they owed that moved them into slavery. And both in the Near East culture and Hebrew culture, there were limits on that. Some theologians have suggested that in the Near Eastern culture, it was three years, in Hebrew, six years. That's why you had the seventh year was Jubilee. They'd be set free. They would not be in slavery forever. And the economy did not depend on them as it did here. One of the reasons why slavery wasn't abolished or was fought so hard to be abolished here is because the economy depended on it. It was labor that if it was set free would tank, they thought, the economy at the time. And so we understand that, yes, it was slavery in that you were subordinated to and even owned by. But back at that time, many bonds, I mean, some bond servants owned businesses. They were confidants of the ones and, and the people that owned them. They were seen as helpful and useful. And some of them even had some freedoms, but it was still a form of slavery, period. And because it was, and because it was one human enslaving another, even if the person was willfully, willfully made themselves a bond servant, which you could, your debt was so big that you came under willingly someone and you served them and you worked off the debt. That was not the case with chattel slavery here. So let's make sure that we don't get that twisted. And Paul is not condoning it. But he's actually not even condemning it either. He is speaking directly to the situation and how you deal with it. Here's what I like. It's not saying that God is saying what you are suffering through, even if it's oppressive. Yeah, that's just, and I'm, I'm, I'm condoning it. No, what God is saying, I'm going to show you how to live in it. I'm going to show you how to live through it. I'm going to teach you how to deal with it as I deal with the people that are involved in it. And he's not saying that you don't seek to abolish it. But he says, here are some things that you must do in the situation you find yourself, however oppressive it is. You have to understand when Paul speaks to the Romans in chapter 13, and he tells them to submit themselves into authority, who was in power? Nero, one of their worst. And God says, regardless, I need you as followers of me to submit yourself. But I love this. He says, as unto the Lord. And so understand what he says here. He goes, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. I love how he sets this up. He says, bond servants, serve your, your he says, obey. All right, same word used for children, obey the commands they give. But I love how he puts this in proper context. Your earthly masters don't think that because you are under the subordination of someone here on earth, that that translates out of earth. It doesn't. God says, oh, he or she may be over you, but only while you are here. This, this, is, this is not your lot spiritually. This is just where you are at the moment on earth. But he also puts it in a good context is that he says, understand this too. They don't have ultimate authority over you. 
And that's the whole context of this, but he speaks to them, and I love this. Look, for both children, and especially for bond servants, what God does is that he takes the position, he actually takes the perspective of the Christian bond servant away from what they are, away from their situation, and translates that into where they really are spiritually so that they can serve earthly. In other words, if your perspective is not anchored in Christ and in the spiritual and in the eternal, you cannot function effectively in the temporary. You can't. See, if all this is about is here, you better start fighting and scratching for everything you can. Now, it doesn't mean that because you are in Christ, you don't fight. No, you fight differently. And so he tells them, listen and understand. Slavery is bad. And it is evil. And oppressive people and people that manipulate or a system that manipulates and is oppressive is bad. But God says, let me show you as a follower of Christ how you operate in this and still honor me. That's what God says. So he says, listen, obey your earthly masters and others with, with fear and trembling. I'm in the fear and tremble them. No, no, no. He says, listen, your perspective is this. You are serving them as you would serve me because ultimately you are serving me. It's not about them. And so I like this. The sacred and the secular are not divided here. There is no, this is my secular job. This is my sacred duty. This is what I have been called to do secularly. This is what I have been called to do sacredly. No, there's no separation. God says, you do the secular unto me as if it were sacred because it is, because it's unto me. I'm in it. So when you're doing it, understand I'm in it with you. I'm leading you. I'm in empowering you so the worst job that you are on or the situation that you wish you were not in God says do it as if I was the one standing in front of you and you were doing it unto me every day boy that'd change your perspective won't it if I did this now unto God in Christ whew, Lord the complainant would stop, or at least it would be minimized. Or if I complained, it would be, Lord, this is really hard. Help me to. And so he tells them how. Bond servants obey. First, he tells them how not. What? Not as eye pleasers. Wow. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. I love this. He changes their perspective immediately. Stop looking at the current people that you're serving under and place that focus on me, the one that you are serving under. I love this. Not as eye pleasers. Oh, we can do that real good. We know how to make people think we are working hard when they see us. We know how to do that. 
And I bet every last one of us has done it too. I hear mom coming. I hear dad coming. Yo, man, get up. Act like you're doing something. That used to be us. Or you're on your job and you know bosses are around or they are looking or they are standing over. I want to seem like I'm working. God says this is not about getting someone's pleasure because they see you doing it. Integrity, and you all have heard this, integrity is who you are when no one is watching. That's integrity. Who are you when no one is watching? What do you do when no one is watching? How do you live when no one is watching? That is a sign of integrity or the lack of integrity. And only you know that. And the Lord. And he's the one that helps shape that of us. He tells them, look, you are to do it wholeheartedly from the heart. Or it says with a single heart focus. What is that single heart? Pleasing God in Christ. Is God pleased with the work that you've done for the day, for the week, for the month? For the year. See, you can play games on us. You can make us believe just about anything. But God knows the truth. What is he saying about you? And then he says, just in case, they said, well, well, well. And then the whatabouts come up. What about the masters? God says, you and I, that's not your concern. God did not call you and I to control those who are over us. God has a word for them, but he has a word for us. And as long as we are doing what we need to do, God will take care of the rest. Now, take care doesn't mean it's going to work out your way. It's going to work out God's way. But then he says, masters, do the same to them. Do what same to them? What same? What he just shared with the servants he and with the bond servants, he equates that to masters, which is another big step because masters back then, they controlled by fear and by threat. How do I know? Because he tells them to stop something in a moment. But that in society, they controlled with a strong hand and arm. And he says to believing masters, bosses, he says, do the same to them. What is that? Stop acting to them with this eye service or do this as unto the Lord, that everything you do is with him watching. But he says to them closely, boy, and I like how he puts them in the place because sometimes when we are over people or if we are in a master position, we are over people. Sometimes we think this thing is all about us. I'm the biggest thing in the world, best thing since sliced bread. I'm the sandwich and everything else. That when I get just a little bit of authority, that somehow now it's about me. And boy, God puts it down real quick and he reminds us, he says, listen, listen, real quick. Do the same to them, and I like this, and stop. You don't tell someone to stop who isn't doing anything. If a person is not doing anything wrong, you say, stop doing that. You're like, stop doing what? I'm not doing anything. You tell those who are in the middle of doing something that they should not to stop. Boy, stop playing around. 
girl, stop. Here he tells them, do the same and stop threatening. And stop your threatening. And here's what you would normally think it says, knowing that God's going to get them if they go against what you say. He didn't say that. Look at what he says. Knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with them. I love how God controls the authority of man. He says to the masters, look, let me help you out. Stop threatening them because ultimately I'm their master and yours. And understand that I judge well, but he says I also do it without care of any externals. That's what partiality does. We know that, right? Favoritism is based on externals. What I see, what I know, what I feel a touch. So either I know you're rich or you're high influence or I see or I, I think you are by the way you dress or by your ethnicity or by where you live. God says none of that means anything to me. So he goes, when I, he says, knowing that their master and yours is in heaven, meaning he is removed from this planet and its mess, although he is involved with it. And he says, he is one that shows no partiality. You're running no game over God. Master, that's who he's talking to. There is no game that succeeds against me, so stop worrying about it. They're not doing what they should. Look, you just keep doing to them what I tell you, and I'm talking to them about theirs, and ultimately it's going to work out the way I want it. But you better understand that I'm your master as well as theirs. See, people that abuse authority forget that they're not ultimate authority. Even if it's a king, a president, a ruler, a governor, they forget even if there is no one in your country over you, God says what you forget is that I'm over everyone. And if I want to do something or change something, I will quickly. And that's our reminder. And then lastly, he says, and finally, and finally, I'm not going to get in all the details, because we just can't. We just don't have the time. But all the details of it, I love this. He says, everyone prepare for battle. Everyone. In other words, this is now the, the summary of walking worthy, and it's the climax of the whole book. He says, this is a battle, prepare for it. And he says, look, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against their authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. First thing I want you to understand is that he tells them firstly is to be strengthened. It is a passive verb. What does that mean? That the action is being taken on you. In other words, if I was to tell someone, be strong, and I thought what I'm saying or what they could 
think I'm saying is, yo, strengthen you. Look, look, you conjure up the strength. Dude, be strong. Give me three more reps. You do it. That's not what that word is saying. When it says be strong, that word is actually saying allow yourself to be strengthened. Where? We just heard it throughout the book, but we saw it in chapter 5 when he said, and be filled with the Spirit. This strengthening comes by the Spirit of God enabling and empowering you. And so he says, in summary, allow the Spirit of God to strengthen you. Why? Because you need to be prepared to fight. Everything I just mentioned requires spiritual strengthening of which you cannot conjure up yourself. So he says, be strong. And in essence, in the might that the Lord gives, be strong. Why? And then he equates being strong with putting on the armor. So when you put on the armor of God, which is putting on the new self, it could be equated as the same. And he's been talking about that at the end of chapter 4 putting on this new self, putting on this new you that, you know, that Christ has won for you. He says, put on the armor of God so that the whole reason to be strong is that you can stand against the schemes and the plans of the devil. Understand this, the victory has already been won, but what God is calling us to do is stand and not to be overrun, tricked, or tempted by what Satan is scheming and planning because God has already won it for you, but it's not yet fully experienced by you. So in order to do that, this new self that you put on, this armor of God, which I like, which really what that means is putting on that which belongs to or which is of and characteristic of God. Understand all of the armor that's mentioned here, we're not going to get into that in, in, in actual detail. All of the armor that's mentioned has been talked about throughout the book. If you look at all of it, righteousness, salvation, the gospel, and actually Paul is making a play that he takes this armor whole motif from Isaiah about God arming himself and his Messiah arming himself. So in essence, the armor is God's armor that he's giving to you. But in essence, like God is salvation, he says, take my salvation as your helmet. God is righteousness, let it guard your heart. God is truth, let it be your breastplate. These are things that are true of God that he is saying, here, take my armor, because that's the only way you are going to be able to stand against Satan. To think in any way that you and I can get out here in ourselves like some of us foolishly do. All right, Satan, bring it on. Dude, sit down. You can't stand against Satan for half a second if you are not fully robed and clothed and protected by and in God. You can't. He is no match for you. I remember watching the movie about Luther. This is a movie, old movie. And in the beginning scene, Luther is in the corner in the church, and this is before he made a stand in his 95 thesis. He is in the corner in the movie, and he is, and in, 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 in the, in the, the, the priest actually comes by and hears him, and he is arguing. He's arguing with Satan. 
in his prayer. And he says, and I love this. He says, son, Satan's been at this for 2,000 years. I think he's a little better than you. What he was saying is, dude, you can't argue with him. You've got nothing to say. We out here rebuking Satan. Dude, do you even understand the battle you're in? The angel had more sense than many of us. Whenever he was approaching, he said, the Lord rebuke you. Because he knew I ain't got not, not one bit of power rests in me. You said, but isn't God in me? He is. But he's in you to appropriate his power as you stand. And so you can say, I see you, Satan. I, 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 you're not winning. God's got me. And he's given me all I need to battle you. But it's God. Oh, you know, you're too weak to do this. You're right. I sure am, but God's not. Man, you can't pull this off. You ain't smart enough. You're right. I'm not smart enough. But God is. Bruh, you can't pull this off. You don't have the strength. You go, I don't. You're right. God does. And I got his strength. See, the issue is it is never you and Satan. It's just God. That's all it is. And when you and I work and focus and live in that, then we can come against it. So he says, stand, be strengthened, put on the armor. It shows that we are imitating God. We are suiting up to stand against him. It is not to win the war. It's been won already. God says, I just want you to stand. And after you've done everything to prepare, stand. See, because some of us, we will put on a, you ever see a person that comes to a pickup game and boy, they look fully dressed. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Headbands and all, wristband, headbands, got on the right shorts and shirt, got on the right kicks. Boy, he's ready to play and then can't play a leg. Be like, dude, what, 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 why are you perpetrating? And for some of us, we suit up. We look good. We say the right things. We get out there and we fall flat on our face. First time, boom, because we don't stand. God says, after you do all this preparation, stand. Everything that you put on is of God, meaning it is who God is, and he's handing it to you. But then he says, lastly, look, in order to do this, he says, praying at all times in the spirit. It takes me back to chapter three when he has this prayer. And then two, when he says, I pray. And when he says, listen, praying at all times in the context of the spirit, meaning that you're praying rightly with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. He says, listen, part of your battle strategy, part of it, part of your battle strategy is that you need to be praying. Someone says, prayed up. You need to be constantly praying as you watch. You see something, you pray about it. You see something happening to someone else, you pray over it. You commit it to prayer. Prayer says, God, I can't, you can come in and do it through me. Prayer is one of the ultimate ways of submitting yourself other than living for Christ. It is praying to Christ and through him. Why? Because you are saying to God, I need you. And as a matter of fact, so do they. So I intercede for them. 
and I ask and I praise and thanking God for what he has done and is doing. And so this prayer is a constant attitude. It is not a, when I'm in trouble, here's what I do. It's not. And he says, for you and I praying at all times. When you see something, what's your first response? Is it complaint? Sometimes that's mine. First thing I see is complaint or is it prayer? Is it, Father, you see this? Wow, help me with this, Lord. You get ready to walk into somebody, oh, Lord, help me with him. <laughs> Even if you know God, if you don't help me, somebody's going to need to help him. But the issue becomes that your heart attitude is one of prayer. Yes, this was long today, but look, God tells us, stand therefore. Be ready, this is a battle. Paul says, even pray for me because I need your prayer as I am in chains. Why? Because he wrote that from a Roman prison. He said, pray for me that I would be bold, that I would do what the Lord wants. I love this. He says, look, and also for me that words, verse 19, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Do you notice what Paul didn't ask for? Pray for me that I get out of here. He said, pray for me that while I am here, I boldly proclaim the gospel. All of the parts of the armor help us to offensively carry out the will of God. And yes, to defend against the attacks that will be there and will continually be there. It is a battle. Stop being surprised that you're under attack if you're living for the Lord. Stop being surprised that it seems to be severe at times. Stop being surprised when you are hit in different areas. It could be financially. It could be health. It could be other family members. It could be job. It could be community. It always is planet because this is the battleground. But he says, take hope, because if we look at the first few chapters, it's been won. So he says, look, look, your battle is not against people, although you may be battling people. God says, I want you to look beyond the person standing in front of you and to see who's influencing them. As a matter of fact, check yourself and see who's influencing you. And as you go to war, understand that your battle is not physical. Stop fighting one another. And even if you think someone is wrong, God says, praying with all prayers. Stop fighting like the world fights. God says, we're a healthy church. Get on your knees. Use the weapons that I've given you to defend and to go on the offensive. And do you notice the only offensive weapon he gave us is the word of God? You know a skilled swordsman is dangerous? When I look at all the movies in the past and, and, and 
I like especially some of the older ones where you have these swordsmen that know how to wield and fight. They are one of the most dangerous because they know how to maneuver it to accomplish what needs to happen. For you and I, we're not wielding to word, the, the word to hurt or to harm people. We are wielding it to set people free and to keep us in the right place. That weapon, that sword that can both defend and be offensive is God's word. And how well you understand it and how well you use it will determine how well it is used in battle. Some of us don't even know what the sword is. What's this? What am I supposed to do with this? The issue becomes, God says, you are to be so skilled with that thing that you know how to pick it up. You know how to use it. You know how it allows to set others free and you free. Let it cut the way it should. Stop abusing people. Stop misusing the word and let the Lord do this. See, my issue for us today is this. We are to be healthy people because we are living out in practice what God has already done in position and what God has already won in battle. That's what it is. Are we a healthy church? The standard is God's word, not our society. The standard is God's word, not what other people say. I want us to learn today that our enemy is spiritual wickedness in high places. And in case you get fearful of that, Chapter 3, verse 16 talks about the victory we have in those high places. God has won in every area of our life. Can we actually live like it? Pray with me. Father, thank you. Lord, could have spent a whole lot more time on this, but Father, it was critical that we understand, oh Lord, the nature of the battle and the battlefield. Father, I pray, <clears throat> Lord, that we would allow ourselves to live in the freedom that you've caused us to have and to wage war in the way you have called us to wage war, preparing ourselves for it in the way that you've called us to. Lord, you've called us to be strong or to be strengthened. I pray that every one of us here and those that are watching would allow themselves to be strengthened. We can't do it ourselves. We need you. Father, I pray that the pieces of armor that we put on, Father, that we know that they are yours, that you hand to us as we put on that new self daily. Father, and that armor helps us to fight the real battle, which is spiritual, and not get caught up in physically fighting people. It's to wield the truth, God, but with wearing a breastplate of righteousness, we won't wield that thing in a sinful fashion. God, I pray that we are proclaimers of the gospel wherever our feet land. 
Father, I pray that our faith would cause us to extinguish the arrows that Satan throw because we know, Father, in whom we have faith. We know your character. We know your heart. I pray that we would be ready Christians, ready to battle, and ready to wage war. Knowing that victory has already been won, we just need to appropriate it. And I pray that we would not forget this through this week. I pray that we would reflect on this and allow you to help us. Thank you for this time in this book. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to go through it ourselves and you'll allow you to speak and to minister unto us. I pray for anyone here today, Lord, that does not know you or someone that's watching that does not. And I pray, God, that they would put their trust in you, surrendering to you and your call, asking for forgiveness of their sins in repentance and surrendering to you. We ask you this in Christ's name, amen. This morning, I thank you guys for your patience with us as we go through this. And that my desire again is that we are people that demonstrate Christ clearly in how we live. We're soldiers. Let's live it. We're soldiers. Let's act like it. This morning, if you are watching us or if you are here and you had not made that decision, I ask you to speak with someone or write us. And you could do it right where you are, as I said, just knowing and accepting that you are in sin. There's nothing that you can do not to be in sin when you were born. And that Christ is the ultimate and only remedy for that sin. And if you believe in and come to him asking for forgiveness, he will change that and you, and you will enter into the family and into the army of God. And you'll begin to move from there forward in life. I ask you to do that. Just by way of reminder before we leave, guys, um, just make sure we're registering for service. It helps us to keep accurate counts. Now we've gotten just a little lax, and now that there's a bit more moving about. You may think that that's not necessary. It still is necessary for us so that we can keep a track of who's where and who's what. So um, please, just as a reminder for you guys to make sure you register um, before we come so we know whom we have in our midst so that if we have any extra people, we know that we are not over our number. Continue to pray for our city um, as we continue to move forward against this virus, wanting more and more folk to be vaccinated um, and, um, and us to be able to get back to some sense of normalcy. We as a church will be moving toward more of our, um, more of what we had done before in worship um, pre-COVID. That does not mean unmasking or not distancing. It's just in some of the style of our worship. Also, for you guys that want to be involved, we still need people to be involved. We still need people to help us. And in the ways that you were helping in the past, you can, in many ways, get back to doing that. 
and in in our worship, in our serving um, with our ushers and in other capacities. We ask that more of you guys begin to join in as you are comfortable, those that are comfortable with returning and coming back. So I ask you guys to keep that in mind um, as we move forward. And we pray that the Lord would continue to help us um, as we move forward and grow in our vision of what we're doing. And so with that, I'm going to hand you over to our ushers. Uh, Miss Stacy's going to come up. You guys have a great week. Um, remember, we're not using this door at all. There's a mound out there probably about eight feet high that I'm not expecting anyone to scale. So we will all go out this way. Go ahead, Miss Stacy.